Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I know what you're thinking, folks. Only two games yesterday. How in the world is Dan going to turn that into a podcast? Mm. But we're going to do it. I figure we can talk about the games, recap them somewhat quickly. I have a few thoughts on the Knicks with Kemba Walker coming back, other guys kind of waiting in the wings. I have a couple of thoughts on Detroit as well. Not a ton of worthwhile thoughts on the Wolves or the Warriors, but we'll touch on those. And then I thought I might do, and maybe we do this with different categories as we work our way through, but I, I, I the one that I always end up working with is points. We talk so much on this show about the value or lack thereof of points, depending on kind of what kind of team you're building. And certainly from a Roto standpoint, but also I would say in head-to-head, what is the value of the points category? Because there's a couple that's nuanced. It's not just points. It has to do with volume as well. How do you get those points? Efficiently? Inefficiently? So we'll touch on that as well. Uh, we'll keep promo somewhat on the low side. You got you guys got hammered with it yesterday. But in any event, this is Fantasy NBA Today. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. If you should feel so inclined to check me out on the Twitters, I hope that you do uh, because I've become addicted to it and I'm on there all the time. Uh too much unhealthy amount but come join me come pretend that you can see what i'm doing and i'm using my hands and i'm motioning you in like the uh the dave Chappelle, rick james animated uh gif where he's waving them in i mean it's from the obviously it's from the show but you know it pops up on the internet uh, a couple little tidbits of news this morning nick batum is back in health and safety protocols i don't know what the hell is going on there uh I assume a positive test, but, you know, what are you going to do? It's a real shame. He was starting to look pretty good again. Uh, Tyus Jones into health and safety protocols as well, so everybody's out on the Grizzlies right now. They've been losing bodies left and right. Dylan Brooks is hurt. Desmond Bain is in protocols. Slow-mo in protocols. I mean, if if DeAnthony Melton can't get going in this environment, I don't know what could possibly kickstart him. Brandon Clark is in really good shape right now with Kyle Anderson out of the way. So that's in all systems. I mean, it was anyway, but in any event. Uh, we also got word at the end of the games last night that Jonathan Kaminga is going to keep starting while Draymond Green is out. Um, he's probably streamable, and we can talk about that when we discuss the Warriors. A couple of trade rumors floating around. Lakers shopping Taylor Orton Tucker, no surprise there. Kings shopping De'Aaron Fox, no massive... Uh, Surprise there. Marcus Smart cleared protocols, but his conditioning is not up, so he'll sit out one more ballgame, and then he'll be back. So you got one more out of Dennis Schroeder, if you feel so inclined. Let's start by talking about yesterday's ballgames, and then we'll kind of see how much time we either have or uh, have to fill <laughs> with other stuff. Because I can't do a 15-minute podcast today. 
I could, but I don't know. I feel like you guys want me to chew up a half an hour of your day. So I have a topic. Don't worry. Uh, Minnesota beat New York on the road 112-110. Good ball game. Wolves got out in front. Knicks kind of fought their way back into it. This was another one of those uh, Evan Fournier kind of out of nowhere games. And they're never completely out of nowhere because we know Fournier's been good in the past. And he's actually been better over the last, call it, two and a half weeks. He had that 20-point game on January the 2nd with nothing else. And then he came back with a zero, a fat zero. And then 41 against Boston, sat out the next ball game, and has gone 18, 13, 18, 6, and 27 since then. So he's actually been closer. And over the last two weeks, because of that, he's inside the top 50. Now, again, that is pretty heavily uh, dependent on the 41-point outburst. When that game comes out of the averages, it's not quite so high, but it's still pretty good. He's like right around the edge of the top 100 if you pull that game out and just work with the other ones. He's shooting better. He's at about 50% over that stretch. Uh, Knocking down three-pointers and just generally being a little bit more aggressive. He's someone who's been, I believe, way over-rostered throughout this season. And I think that's probably still the case. Even if you were to take a shot on Fournier now, we have to also realize Cam Reddish is waiting in the wings and he's going to be coming straight for Fournier's minutes. But maybe that was the thought with that trade, was just like put someone behind Fournier and make him fight for his stuff and maybe it'll be a little bit better. I'm still not biting. I will pick up Kemba, however. He's a starting point guard on an NBA team. We've seen him disappear. We've seen him go passive. It seems like perhaps that runs in coincidence with his sore knee. I don't know what the Knicks are going to do about that. Do they have to make sure his minutes stay under 30? I assume he'll be sitting out every single back-to-back, so he's going to be a massive headache in head-to-head leagues. You probably don't need to pick him up there. But in Roto, if we know that he's coming into a game healthy, set to play some 28 to 30 minutes, I would start him in a Roto games cap format. Again, head-to-head, I don't think you can do it. Alec Burks now becomes an immediate drop, getting punted back to the bench, and he was horrible, so... If just going to the bench wasn't evidence enough, the fact that he didn't do anything there solidifies it. And then Mitchell Robinson fouled out in 20 minutes of this ballgame, dealing with Carl Anthony Towns. He's fine. Nerlens Noel's still out. Taj Gibson is not the answer there. He also fouled out, by the way. So both centers for the Knicks fouled out. But Robinson's actually been a little bit better lately, and I'd stick with that uh, because it's trending at least a little bit, a little bit the right direction. Got a few questions about Jared Vanderbilt over the last two or three days. He has been slow his last three or four ball games. However, he's still getting the minutes. There just weren't that many rebounds to go and get. 4.7 boards, no defensive stats. That's the thing with a guy who's reliant on boards and defensive stats. If they go away, things turn ugly real quick. He'll be fine. If someone drops him, you definitely pick him up. If you think you can go trade for him, you could probably get him for someone in the, like, right around 100 range, I would think. Unless the player, unless the team that has him is super glued to him. And so for Minnesota, you just continue to start the starters. That's it. Start the starters. It's an easy solution there. Not much to talk about. Don't panic. Pistons at Warriors. This game was not as close as a 16-point 
outcome would indicate Warriors blew the doors off in the first half and then just threw it into cruise control the rest of the way. On the Warriors' side, we talked about Kaminga a little bit. He played 25 minutes, had five fouls, probably would have played more if not for fouls and if not for the game being over early. Otto Porter got punted to the bench where he was ineffective. Kevon Looney, no points, did have 10 rebounds, not going to touch that one. Kaminga, uh, he can be somewhat well-rounded. He's going to be very inconsistent. I think he he probably falls into that 50-50 bucket where for head-to-head, it doesn't really hurt you if you stream him while Draymond is out. For Roto, you do kind of have to get it on the right night. I think the Warriors have a soft schedule coming up, if memory serves, and I can punch that in while we're talking about it. Uh, yeah, Indiana and Houston coming up, and then Utah-Dallas, so it gets tougher. But next two ball games, if Draymond misses those on the back-to-back, that's tomorrow and the following day, they're probably pretty good ones to drop Kaminga in. And In fact, he's been pretty darn good last three or four ball games in a row. I think maybe we're a little overexcited about defensive ability, He's at .75 steals per game over the last four, .75 blocks over that stretch as well. Not a great foul shooter. So that that does limit the upside. That's why I think it's a 50-50 proposition. You kind of have to catch it on the night where the free throws are dropping or maybe he doesn't even get to the line or you catch him on the night where he gets one or two blocks as opposed to the night where it's zero. And again, it levels off in head-to-head, probably a little bit outside the top 100. But if you catch him on the right night in Roto, You could get the top 50 line and then dodge the top 175 line. I'm just not good enough to do it, so that's why I'm pretty hesitant there. As Detroit goes, Killian Hayes hurt his hip and had to leave early in this one. That meant plenty of Corey Joseph and, uh, you know, if a tree falls in the forest kind of thing. Pistons are not a good basketball team. And it's why for a month I've been talking about Kelly Olynyk, who just will not return. I, I'm beyond frustrated by this. So let me loop back around to Kelly Olynyk and Jeremy Grant because they are kind of the two things that need to be talked about with Detroit. The other stuff is pretty quick right now. Uh, Isaiah Stewart finally had a slightly better ball game here, 14-11 and a block on good shooting. <sighs> Honestly, I think you can probably not worry about Stewart. I've dropped him in a couple of spots. I don't even know how I ended up with him in more than... He was not a guy I was targeting. I thought he was getting drafted too high. In one league, he fell, and I thought, all right, you know, I'll take a shot here. I need a center, and it's been annoying. So I dropped him, and then he had a decent ball game. But even this one, it's not like, oh, no, you missed out on a massive... It's not that massive. I mean, this is a pretty empty double-double when it comes right down to it. So, Stewart, I don't think he's a must-roster guy. Hamadou Diallo's a guy you continue to start here as long as the other forward, power forward options are somewhat limited, which they are right now, because Olenek and Jeremy Grant are still out. The reason I was down on Diallo, well, there's a few. First of all, he doesn't shoot the three balls. Percentages have historically been kind of bad, and his turnovers have been historically kind of high. He's been a little better on the field goal percent side until this ball game, which dragged him back down to kind of average over this warm stretch, but he's getting the minutes. So that sort of overshadows some of the things he does poorly. The other reason I was down on Diallo and why I think he's been on and off of waiver wires, frankly, as well, in addition to the stat set stuff, is that we've all known Jeremy Grant and Kelly Olynyk were kind of hanging, looming over whatever he's been able to do. 
The arguments for Diallo is that maybe they just cut him loose in the second half if Olenek or Grant get traded. But now we hear yesterday that Jeremy Grant doesn't want to be traded if he ends up on a team where his role becomes somewhat limited. He doesn't want to go to a team like, say, the Lakers, where he'd be fourth in the pecking order. He doesn't want to go to a team unless he's going to be a feature piece of their offense. And I've heard a lot of people saying that's dumb, go win yourself a championship. Let's try to remember, Jeremy Grant is on his first big contract. He's not a guy that's been around the NBA and is like in the twilight trying to figure out how to get himself a championship. He's 27. He's thinking, I'm going to keep putting up big numbers and I'm going to get another big contract. And certainly the way to do that is not to go take a, a fifth, fourth or fifth fiddle roll and not do very much. So he understands he's not at that point in his career yet where he wants to go chill out on a championship team and play his role. He wants to be on a team where he's taking 15, 16 shots a night, putting up 20 points, and making sure that his next contract is going to be a big one too. I get it. I get it. I don't really remember being 27, but I do know that I wasn't thinking my athletic prime is almost over. <laughs> I was probably wrong. It was. It was long over. But Jeremy Grant's like, look, you send me someplace, I need to be a part of it. And there's a few spots he could end up. I mean, we've heard about maybe the Kings as a possible destination. He would definitely get to do a bunch of stuff there. But he's not, it dramatically, I think, limits the places he could potentially go if you wipe out the good teams that want a good power forward to complement other very good players type of spots. I'm trying to think about what other teams might be hunting a guy like a Jeremy Grant, but I mean, you know, anybody that's a competitor could use him in their front court. Look at the teams at the top of the NBA standings and tell me which ones are set at power forward. The Bulls, they're not. I mean, I guess it's DeMar DeRozan a lot of the time. Io right now. The Heat. I legitimately don't even know who the Heat power forward is. Is it Jimmy Butler? I guess. P.J. Tucker? Brooklyn. Okay, they got a good power forward. He's hurt right now, but Kevin Durant's kind of good. The Bucks, they've got Giannis. Okay, they don't need him. Sixers could use him, but he'd be a, a side... He'd be a third, fourth fiddle there. Tobias Harris could slide down and play the three. Jeremy could slide down and play the three. In the West, uh, Suns have Jay Crowder. They could upgrade there. Warriors. Uh, the hell's the Warriors' power forward? It was Kaminga yesterday. They could certainly use a power forward. But anyway, the point is, you take a lot of teams off the board when you eliminate the spots where he's only going to get 11, 12 shots a game. He wants his 15, 16, 17 shots. That's where he's at. And then as far as Kelly Olynyk goes, he's still not back. Maybe he's the more tradable piece now because I'm guessing Olynyk has a little bit of a different feel on where he'd be willing to go. Kelly's a little older. He's 30. He'll be 31 in a couple of months. 31 right around the end of this NBA season. I would argue he's past his prime. If he's in it, he's right at the tail end of it. He's been around a little bit. Been bouncing around the NBA. 
I think he would happily go to a team where he's a non-feature piece because, frankly, he wasn't really a feature piece when he signed in Detroit. I don't know what the rules are, by the way. I might be biffing a rule on whether or not he can get moved or when he can get moved since they did just sign him this last offseason. But maybe he's the one that would be easier in such a case. Apologies if I'm screwing up the contractual side of things. All this to say... Hamadou Diallo's outlook got a little bit worse when it seemed like Jeremy Grant's going to now become harder to trade. Because as soon as he comes back, there just won't be 17 shots for Diallo anymore. And if he's not getting a ton of usage, it's not going to be very fun to have on the fantasy team. So you can use him for now. Just understand that the end is nigh. Uh, Sadiq Bey, we warned you guys, trade him while he's hot. He's been outside the top 175 the last two weeks after that heater when everybody was hurt. And the team still isn't fully healthy. What you do with all the information we just poured on top of you. You can stream Diallo, continue to roll him out there for now. Isaiah Stewart's like a 30% chance of having a decent ball game, so kind of meh. And then Cade, if you drafted him, you're probably kind of sticking with it at this point. But, I mean, this is the this is how it goes with a rookie. And they haven't fully tapped in their potential. He's outside the top 100. You probably spent a higher pick than that. At some point here, it's gonna, the light is going to start to turn on, and you're going to get a nice little run. Is there an opportunity to buy low on Cade Cunningham? That will be our social media project for the day, provided I can remember to do it after this podcast is over. My brain has a way of not doing so great with processing things that I try to remember from 25 minutes earlier. So maybe there's a, there's a buy window there, I think. He hasn't been very good, or if he has been, no one's noticed. Rookie of the year, like he's an afterthought. Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes way out in front of Cade right now. So maybe there's a window. I want to remind you guys about Thrive Fantasy. Please do. I mean, real, like, please take $10 and just check it out for me. I really think you're going to be pleased that you did. ThriveFantasy.com is the website. You can also download the Thrive Fantasy app on Apple or Android devices with a $10 deposit using promo code ETHOS, E-T-H-O-S, you get a 100% deposit match bonus and a pair of contest entry vouchers in the $20 competition. So deposit just $10 using our promo code ethos and you get 60 in your account to play with. That's pretty freaking good. That is an awfully good reason to at least try it out. Follow our DFS guys, Mike Santino and company. Listen to DFS Today, our sister podcast here on the Sports Ethos Network. They'll give you some of their favorite prop bets, and that's the beauty of it. It's props. It's props. You don't need to figure out what weird scrub is going to have a slightly better ball game so you can afford to pay up for the supers. I, like, DFS confuses me, I'll admit. I find, it, I find it annoying and hard, and that's probably the old man in me talking. But prop bets, I've known for a long time. That's the more the sports betting universe, something I've done for quite a few years. Uh... And if you can, I mean, if you have a feel for what superstars are going to do, you should be going to win money with it. What's also nice about the way this works on Thrive is that if you're, you don't have to actually make a prop bet on 10 different guys. It's all sort of tied together. It's an aggregate. If you pick, they give you 20 to choose from. If you pick 10 and you're pretty warm on a particular night, you're going to win money. Pretty cool stuff. ThriveFantasy.com, Thrive Fantasy app. Prop up using promo code ETHOS, E-T-H-O-S. Join us over there. Let's have some fun, win some money. Here's the thing I wanted to talk to you guys about today. 
And maybe we'll, again, make this kind of a series, but I do think that I could probably use... I think we'll get some guests on for other parts of it. Like our buddy Adam Stock, very good with punt strategy in general. Uh, Adam King, who we talked to, we'll have him back on the show next week. He's on vacation right now. Uh, Very good at the punt big formula. But what I've always felt like I have an edge on in fantasy leagues is understanding the value of points in a different format. I don't generally punt points in head-to-head because in head-to-head, their points are often tied to turnovers. It's not always the case, but there is a link there in a way that they're not necessarily tied with rebounds or assists or steals or blocks. Points are often tied to having the basketball in your hand and then subsequently giving the basketball away. You see this because guys at the top of the board have arguably the most points. They tend to be the highest scoring players in the NBA. And also the guys who have the most turnovers in the NBA. There are exceptions. So as I'm saying this, I don't want you thinking of the exceptions. Like Russell Westbrook is way down the board and you know he doesn't score a ton, but he does turn the ball over a ton. Like, there are always going to be exceptions to this. And there are going to be some guys at the top that don't score a truckload, like LaMelo Ball's 19 and some odd points per game. Turnovers are still relatively high, but look, like, the assists are kind of high. So there's, yes. But as far as correlation goes, it's not zero. The guys that score tend to also be the guys that turn the ball over. So when you're in a head-to-head league, And you're basically, and here's the other, before I even transition to that, in a head-to-head league, the team that wins the week is very often the team that has more games played in a given week. That's a pretty straightforward concept. And in weekly leagues, it's a much easier one to think about because, like, you got a guy who's got four games and he's a top 120 player, you have a guy who has three games who's a top 90 player, you're probably going to go for the guy with an extra game. It's just about accruing stats. Of course, the problem there is, if you're the team with more games in a given week, you're also probably going to be the team with more turnovers in a given week. Again, it's not a one-to-one correlation. If you have more games, you're not always going to lose turnovers. If you have more games, you're not always going to win counting stats, but there is a correlation. So when you put those pieces of information together, when you combine the data points that we just talked about, which is one, uh, the team with the most games tends to have the most turnovers and the team with the most games played tends to win the week and the team that scores the most tends to have the most turnovers. It sort of behooves you to just say, I better just go get guys who score a ton. If they turn it over, I don't really care. It's not a full punt on turnovers, but it's kind of a soft punt. It's an I don't care. You're not targeting James Harden. You're not targeting Trey Young or this year Paul George. You're not targeting Giannis or Russ. But if you end up with some of those guys, you don't really worry about it later in your draft. You're like, oh, I better get a low turnover guy to balance this out. 
I'm going to be hunting extra games played throughout the year anyway, so meh, as the Simpsons say. M-E-H, meh. So I don't, in my head-to-head leagues, end up punting points all that often. Although in Roto, for whatever reason, I do end up bottom third in points. And a lot of this has to do with sort of the old man squad style. I'm not going for the buzzy guys that are out there scoring a ton. And by midseason, I start to think, well, what would happen to my team right now if I did punt points? What if I, I like to call it the give up. It's not a punt because on draft night, I was more than willing to draft players that scored. If you were punting points, you'd generally be looking elsewhere. And your draft board would be totally different than everybody else's. The problem with doing that is if you you hamstring yourself, you close yourself off to a, a number of opportunities throughout the season. It's best to just go get guys that are going to be ranked really high, and then if you want to punt something later on, you're going to have these crazy assets to trade to get the guys you want. It becomes really easy. Because at that point, everybody knows what everyone can do. You can trade down in rank and get the guy that fits your team better. But I thought for our brief discussion today, since it is such a short recap show, and we've got an extra 5 to 10 minutes to talk about it, I'd bring up what the board looks like right now if you were punting points. And again, I don't recommend this necessarily on the head-to-head side. I think it's really hard because then you have to win turnovers and streaming becomes harder because you don't want to accidentally lose turnovers and blow up your whole strategy. But there is a way to punt points in any format and end up with a pretty damn well-rounded team. The board shakes up a little bit near the top, but I thought I'd give you guys just a couple of examples. First of all, up near the top, most of those guys see a very slight downtick if you're punting points, and so the names don't move all that much. Like, KD falls a little farther than, like, Jimmy Butler. It just sort of it mushes people together where KD is pretty far out in front of Jimmy on it on a per game basis without the punt those guys are pretty close and Steph is right there and Freddie Van Vliet's right there LeBron kind of comes back to the pack a little bit the one that doesn't is Jokic he falls but not as far so Nikola actually number 1 by a slightly larger margin if you're punting points believe it or not but at number 8 is Chris Paul Why do you think I always end up in a semi-punt point strategy? I take Chris Paul, who, by the way, beats his ADP even if you're not punting points, but just obliterates it if you are. He's number eight on a per-game basis if you're punting points this year, and you could very easily have gotten him in the third round. Boom. All of a sudden, you got a great foundation of percentages because he's a guard that shoots the, the, the field goal percent well. Free throws are in great shape. Turnovers are not very high. You won't have to worry about that because it's a punt points anyway. Steals are great. Assists are great. The only thing you're working on if you don't have... I mean, this is your third round guy we're talking about here. Now, you have to think about this early on. Like, if you're punting points, how many threes are you going to end up with later in the draft? Your first round pick becomes 
a little bit more confusing. If you could get end up with Jokic, you're actually in really great shape there, but you know, you would have had to have the first pick overall anyway. If you didn't, it's sort of a weird twist, like James Harden is actually a not bad punt points player this season, but you do need to fix the field goal percent at that point. Luckily, there are plenty of guys that can do that because the Time Lord, Robert Williams, is number nine if you're punting points this year. You could very easily have had him in the third or fourth round as well. Lonzo Ball is number 12 in a punt points this season. You could get him in the fourth or fifth round. Rudy Gobert, number 13, who you could have in the second round. Miles Turner, Tyrese Halliburton, Rob Covington, Al Horford, massive names in the punt points department. Draymond Green, who's uh, the perfect center for it. And then things start to get really interesting because as you get into the middle rounds, you don't need points at all. Jared Vanderbilt, Matisse Thybul, Marcus Smart, Patrick Beverly, Nick Batum, Cody Martin. All these names that you, I mean, Pat Beverly, you'd be, you'd be starting anyway. But a lot of the names that you look at here where like you wouldn't touch them under normal circumstances because maybe they have decent percentages or because they do assist steals and blocks, they get this big bump up the board. It's very hard for me to build out an entire team of punt points on a podcast by myself. The overarching point that I'm trying to make here is that you can get almost every player you want because when you punt points, the names move so far on the board. It's not like punting free throws where a handful of guys go all the way to the top and you have no choice but to get them because if you don't get them, you're doomed. With punt points, guys, there's just... No one's going to get in your way with this stuff. That's the reason I like it. And it doesn't draw attention to you on draft day if you ended up going that direction. I still don't think it's a wise move to do it on draft day. I like it more mid-season. But like, for instance... Uh, I guess, you know, Robert Williams is probably a really good example of it. Covington or Horford, those guys are also really good examples of it. Those are guys you can have for someone you drafted probably after them who's just scoring more. It's very easy to build a punt points team because teams that have these guys are generally less attached to them. It's the strange phenomenon... That all links back to the buzz factor. I mean, like, you could very easily have had Rob Covington. He was on the wire in most formats earlier this year. And he's one of the premier punt points guys in the NBA. One of the most important. He's like top six or seven in giant boost when you talk about guys that are actually inside the top 200. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt is another one. He's tougher to get because he's gotten a lot of young player buzz. If Nerlens Noel could get healthy, he's always been a really interesting one. But Covington is always up there. Covington, Draymond Green. If you put those two guys on your team in a punt points build, you can get them in the mid to late rounds. <laughs> like You're talking about 
guys that are big time positive impact dudes in weird categories, you don't have that much to shore up. Covington's hitting you almost two threes a game as well. I think this is an underutilized strategy. And I think looking at some of this stuff right now to say, oh man, like I could have, if I was punting points, I could have had Chris Paul and the Time Lord and these guys. And if I wasn't worrying about this one looming category, all the players on the wire become so different as well. You could end up with like, a whole team of top 50 type of guys and with almost no competition for them because of how much it moves people around. And I guess that's really the point of all of this is if you're punting something, does it move enough guys into a range where it makes your life easy? And I think with points, the answer is yes. Because there are so many guys that are outside the top 100, outside the top 80, top 90, that rocket into that mark, that you're not fighting with people. Josh Hart gets a bump. Jay Crowder is useful in this format. You do have to make sure you have the sort of the one volume guy on your team has to be good at field goal percent. That's where you're going to run into trouble because if you're going to get punt points guys that hit a couple of three-pointers, they probably don't take many shots and they're probably a decent number of them from outside. So make sure your volume guy is good at both percentages and then uh, you're pretty much cool from there. I want to talk a little bit more about this on Twitter as well. Uh, So we'll talk about Cade Cunningham on social today. We'll talk about punt points on social. That's where you guys can head after the podcast. That's probably enough, frankly. Frankly, hey, uh, make sure to go get something from our buddies over at manscaped.com. Promo code over there is ethos20. I'm not going to tell you about all the different products today. I told you to be a light on promo day. We'll go a little heavier on promos tomorrow. Alternate. You get the easy one, you get the heavy one. You get the easy one, to get the heavy one. Hey, thanks to everybody that left a uh, review on the show yesterday. And I will talk to you guys on Twitter. Again, it's at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hey, while you're at it, follow the single best fantasy news feed on planet Earth at Ethos Fantasy BK. Fast, with analysis, smoking the competition. Those guys doing a hell of a damn job. Ethos Fantasy BK. I am again and Dan Bespris. I can say my own name. Fantasy NBA Today, the name of the show. And that'll be that. All right, see you later, everybody.